0: repeated in March during March Madness, the basketball tournament. If you're not a basketball (laughs) fan this is short this is just part of this is just the introduction so you won't have to be mad especially if your team gets beat by the number 12 seed. It seems like every year there's somebody that's not supposed to be that good that upsets, I won't say who, upsets a team that's supposed to be really good. It happens to my husband's team. It happens to everybody. Uh, but this story today is a story of an underdog, and we love cheering for the underdog, right? I was reading through Judges um, like 10 days ago and read this story that I'd read many, many times of an underdog, and something different just popped out to me, and that's what Jake was talking about, something that when we read the Scripture over and over and it may... It may bore us at times, it may seem irrelevant at times, but God uses this text to speak to us. And so if you're struggling to read, I just encourage you to pick up the Bible and give it a try again, because there's always something, okay? So we're gonna read most of Judges 6 and 7, so bear with me. A little background, the underdogs are the Israelites. These are God's people who were slaves in Egypt, as you might remember. They were released. They crossed the Red Sea. It was miraculous. Then they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And meanwhile, God is saying, I have something for you. It's great, it's fantastic. It's this promised land. Just wait, you know, we'll get there eventually. And eventually they did. They got to the promised land. Joshua led the people in many battles so they could be settled in this land. And then our top seated team is the Midianites. They were nomads. We're told that they swarmed in with their tents and their cattle. Their camels were uncountable, too numerous to count, but they stole from God's people. They, saw, they waited for the harvest and then they swept in and gathered what was not their, theirs. They were cruel and the Israelites were afraid of them. They hid in caves when the Midianites came to town. And this is where we pick up the story today. In Judges 6, and we'll start in verse 11. Now as I read, you can follow along or you can imagine yourself in the story. Are you the angel? Are you Gideon? Are you just like somebody standing on the sideline that gets to see as we do? Try to imagine and smell and feel whatever it is in the story. Judges 6. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the oak tree at Orpha, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, had been threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites, as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. The Lord answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home, he cooked a young goat, and with half a bushel of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the oak tree. The angel of God said to him, Place the meat and the unleavened bread on the rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought. The angel of the Lord disappeared." We'll come back to the story in a minute. So this angel appeared to Gideon while he was doing his work in hiding. You're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. Like we can tell that that's not the way it's supposed to be, but he was hiding. He was down in this hole hiding so that the Midianites, if they saw him, wouldn't come in and take his grain. He didn't want his work to be in vain. He was afraid. He was in this place of submission to these powerful people. And this is where he is, both physically and mentally, when the angel comes to him and says, mighty man of God, he's hiding. It's ironic, right? Gideon greeted the messenger, as I'm sure many of us would in the same situation. He seems sarcastic when he says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? But the angel responds in a gentle way, very matter-of-fact to Gideon, he assures Gideon that God is calling him and God is sending him. I know many of us have asked this question, where is God? Where are you? Perhaps we know in our head because we're told every Sunday, God is with you, God is with you, God is for you, who can be against you? But sometimes it does not feel like God is for us. When I reflected on this this week, and I was saying to myself, "Where is God? How do we talk about this?" I realized that it's not God that's left us. It's that I have left God. And there's parts of my life that I close off from God, and I won't let Him in, because I have control of that. And in these times, God doesn't say, "Well, you know, you're dead to me." He just gently pulls us back in if we're willing to accept that. I have to find ways to refocus on God, to look for times in my day that are closed off to God and let him in to each time, each situation with my family. This morning, I read this promise again in Psalm, O Lord, you have never abandoned anyone who searches for you. When Gideon had questions and doubts, when he was angry and sarcastic, When he was frustrated, God simply said, I'm calling you, I will go with you. The next thing we see Gideon do is worship. He's got this big job ahead of him. God has said, all these people who are mean to you, you will defeat them. And what's the first thing he did? He worshiped. Is that ever our first response? No, maybe. To worship, I think a lot of times we pray, dear God, please help me. This is so overwhelming. Or we go and talk to somebody and say, you know, can you help me with this? What's your advice? But do we worship? Do we say thank you, Lord, for the way that you will work through this situation, the way that you will help me for all the things you have done for me? I don't think that's often our first response. But that's what Gideon did. This kind of worship cost him something. Uh... I wonder, I mean, it's something I wonder about a lot, this whole idea of sacrificing animals. I, you know, we don't do that, and I'm glad we don't, but I wonder how it makes you feel differently from the way that we offer ourselves to God. It was very tangible for Gideon. It was food that was scarce. It was time, it was effort. I think it cost him something Does our worship cost us anything? When we offer something to God, is it what was already free for us or does it cost us anything? Now, I don't think it should be painful or hurtful to worship, but I think we have to be invested. Sometimes, like today, we gather and we worship because it's convenient. It's a time that even society kind of has set aside Sunday for church. And I know not everybody participates, but we all are here. And sometimes it's just what we do out of habit. It's expected. It's our normal practice. But our worship shouldn't be reserved for Sundays only. I think there's sometimes when we just have to stop. And whatever we're doing, when it's not convenient, when we have other things to do, sometimes we need to stop and worship God. And we need to be sensitive in order to know when those times are. This time, every week that we have together, is good. And we, are, we have the opportunity to worship with our brothers and sisters. It's not a time to be burdened and distracted. It's not a time to be critical or just to watch. But we should participate in worship. When we declare together that our God reigns, that God is peace in the midst of our fears. In these times, we're stronger because we're singing it with the person next to us. That's why we worship together, to lift each other up and to worship God, to say, God, this is about you and we are thankful. When we're in, in agreement and God delights in this, when we worship this way, this is a time to worship our Creator, our Father, the one who's given us victory. Now, I know that not everybody's in a season of victory right now. and it's hard when we're in that season but i know that each one of you can look back at a time when god's blessings were overwhelming and you couldn't contain it and so in times when you're struggling when it seems like god is not anywhere close to you like nothing is going your way like you're trying your best and nothing's happening that's cool Um. (laughs) we know that God is with us and that he has done great things and that he will do them again and we just need to pause and worship and say I'm ready and I'm waiting for you God and we have to listen and pay attention it seems that Gideon was worshiping God just because God showed up God hadn't done anything yet he just said, you're gonna go beat these people, and Gideon said, all right, let's worship. And that's what he did, just because God showed up. How beautiful is that? Sometimes our, wor- our worship seems like work. It doesn't come naturally to us. We're very self-centered. Babies are self-centered people. We're self-centered from the time we're tiny, and as adults, we really have to fight to not be so self-centered. In a world full of people, where God could have chosen anyone, where others are more perfect than we are, God chooses you, and he wants you to worship him. So, I lost my spot. This is what our worship should be, a time to just praise God for choosing us. Okay, continuing with the story, We'll skip over a couple parts, and I'll summarize for you. Gideon offered his sacrifice, and then he went back to his home, and he destroyed all of the idols. Everything, um, the people were worshiping other gods, the gods of the Midianites. And Gideon went back, and he destroyed all of that. This seems to be the point where he shifted from being the youngest, from being somebody who was not able, to taking ownership of it, to taking possession, and saying to his family, This is what we're going to do. We're going to destroy all of this that is not of God, and we are going to worship God. He made a statement to lead as God has called him to. All right, the next section is Judges 6, starting in verse 36. Gideon said to God, If you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put out some wool on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning but the ground is dry then i will know that you're going to help me rescue israel and it happened just that way when gideon got up the next morning he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a bowl full of water then gideon said to god please don't be angry with me but let me make one more request this time let the fleece remain dry and the ground all around it wet with dew so that night god did as gideon asked the fleece was dry in the morning but the ground was covered in dew." Now this is kind of a funny thing to picture, and it seems impossible, right? Um, There's a great VeggieTales about this, and the picture is in my head today. But what we learn about God from this very simple thing is huge. I think sometimes we're told, don't doubt. If you have faith, anything can happen, but you can't have any doubt. You can't question God. You can't ask God to repeat himself. You just have to believe. That's not what Gideon did. He had already said, okay, I will do this. He knew that God was calling him. And he had already said, I will worship you, and we will tear down all these idols to the other gods. But he still said, okay, just to be sure, this is what you want me to do? And God said, yes. And that's the God we serve who doesn't get tired of us asking questions, who doesn't ever you know, say, no, you can't ask these questions. You have to believe and not doubt and just you know, suck it up for God. That's not what God says. He allows us to be real with him and to have doubts and to have fears. He allows us to ask again, what did you say? It's okay. Okay, so Gideon gathered his army. The enemies were 135,000 strong. Okay? Gideon's army he gathered was 32,000. They were the underdogs already. But you know what? God said, You have too many people. So if anyone's afraid, let him go home. Who would have gone home? I would have left. 22,000 people left. 10,000 remained. And I picture these, like, big warrior guys. They're like, oh, yeah, we totally got this. All day we can fight them, right? They're like, yeah, we can do this. That would not have been me. I would have left. But these 10,000 stayed. And God said, this is too many. The odds were 13 to 1, and it was still too much. God said, if I let all of you fight the Midianites... The Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. So they did a test. The men went down to the water, they took a drink. Hey, this is weird. Those who scooped up the water and lapped it out of their hands like dogs stayed. Everyone else who bent down and drank out of the stream left. So how many were left? Does anyone know? 300. 300 people were left to fight an army of 135,000. If there was victory, there can be no doubt that it was God's victory. These 300 men couldn't defeat anyone on their own. So, knowing Gideon's history of doubting, of needing assurance, God said one more thing. Hey, If you need even more assurance that I will be with you, go down to the Midianite camp tonight and listen. And that's what he did. We start in verse 12. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his friend about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His friend said, now remember, these are the Midianites. These are the bad guys. His friend said, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over all the armies united with Midian. When Gideon heard that dream and its interpretation, he thanked God. Then he returned to camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianites. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each a ram's horn, a clay jar, and a torch. And he said to them, Keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as my group blows the horns, those of you on the other sides of the camp, blow your horns and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon, and the 100 men with him reached the outer edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew their horns and broke their clay jars. And all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their rights, and they shouted, "A sword for the Lord and for Gideon!" Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran. When the 300 Israelites blew their horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other. Those who were not killed fled, and Israel was given the victory. I just love it that God gives Gideon this last little bit of assurance. That he allowed him to listen to this conversation between these Midianites god is saying again i am with you i'm sure gideon was afraid but the lord let him hear this conversation where the enemy said we're toast we're gonna lose now they were afraid for no reason this is just the picture of god's loving care for us gideon had already asked for assurance multiple times he had already said, God, are you sure? If it's really you, then this. He had already asked so many times he should be sure, but God said, just one more time, I want you to know that I am calling you, that I will be with you. I wonder how often we're able to see the ways God does this for us. Sometimes it's a quiet feeling of peace that everything will be okay. Sometimes it's words from a friend or a prayer from a friend. It's not just a coincidence. It's God. One day, um, I was in the prayer room with some people. And one of the others in there just said, I feel like I need to say this to you. You are called by God. You are loved. You have something to say. And the person wasn't even anyone that I knew. He didn't know my story. That was God speaking through him to say something to me. These aren't just coincidences, things that can happen to anybody. It's the word of God coming to us in a very real way. So why should we be afraid? With a fraction of his army left and insurmountable odds, the Lord brought victory to Gideon and his people. Did you notice what they did? They made some noise. They shone their lights. That's it. God caused the people to be afraid. They were so scared. They ran away. They were confused. They fought against each other. God delivered his people just like he said that he would do. And they didn't have to do anything, but follow these simple directions. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to come up with a great plan of what to do. They just had to obey and trust that God was with them. This is the Cinderella story we love. The underdogs won. Sometimes we get so afraid of something that our fear grips us and we're unable to act. We're unable to speak. But this isn't what God wants for us. When we're paralyzed by this fear the enemy gets the victory and not god but when we have the faith to know that god is with us that he has asked us to do something we know that we cannot fail we have the very power of the holy spirit living in us and we can overcome any insurmountable odds we can do anything that god has asked us to do if everything that we rely on goes away, will we still trust God? Will we still worship God? Is God enough? Um, Several years ago, I sat at my kitchen table with some friends and I think that one of us knew somebody, a mom like us, who was dying of cancer. And we said oh I don't know if I could ever do that If I could ever continue to trust God through something so terrible and so then we began to voice our own fears you know I don't know if I could stick with God if that happened and I know that we all have things but in the times where God seems to not be there where everything has been taken away from us We just need to worship there are fears there are things that we are so afraid of but the truth is that God is with us we have to be reminded of this over and over we see all through the scriptures people who were afraid but they still had faith that God would use them Abraham was afraid Peter was afraid he almost sunk in the in the lake Joseph was afraid Moses Esther was afraid, but God used each of them. He was with each of them in their unique time, in their unique story. And these are not just stories that we read because we're supposed to. These are stories of truth about God. And if God was with Gideon, God is with you. God knows every unspoken thing. God knows your fears. He knows how you've already failed. He knows where you lack self-control. He knows the enormous mountain in front of you. He knows how you hide from people so you don't have to be confronted. God knows all of these things, and God is with you. So what will we do when we're afraid? We will worship. Um, As I close, Caleb's going to come. God is always with us. I feel like that's all I ever say. God is with us. But then I forget. Does anyone else forget? Do you ever feel like on Tuesday, like, I'm all alone. I can't do this. I can't talk to my neighbor about God. I can't be the voice of peace in my workplace. I can't act different than everyone else around me. But God is with you. And over and over again, he will tell you that he is with you. We need to trust in what God has told us. It's okay to ask if you're unsure. If you forget, it's okay. It's okay to say on that Tuesday, God, I think you're with me, but I'm not sure. Can you remind me? And guess what? He will. He always will. And then our response is to worship. Not just when things are done not just when we can say, oh yeah, this is, the, this is the big problem and God resolved that for me and now I'll worship, but to worship in the midst of that. And so we're gonna sing again and I don't know what, what challenge lies ahead of you, but you can trust that the God Who calls you, the God of the Old Testament, is with you, and that He is faithful, that He will not leave you, and you can worship Him. Amen.